This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. I'm John Sullivan. I'm the Academic Market Director at the Risk Management Association. You know, RMA and its chapter network have sponsored case competitions for various colleges and universities for years. Recently, we caught up with the team from the Ivy Business School at Western University in London, Ontario, and they reflected on their win on the 2014 case competition, which was co-sponsored by the Sobe School of Business and RMA. And interestingly, they shared their thoughts on what they remember from that competition eight years ago, what they've learned, and how it's impacted their careers. Now, what they say are representative of their own opinions and not the Bank of Montreal, where they are all now vice presidents. Well, thank all three of you for being with us today. It's good to see you. Uh, I'd love to hear just quickly about where you are now in your careers. Charles, I'll start with you. Yeah, sure. So I'm uh, currently vice president of BMO Capital Markets and the diversified investment banking team. And we essentially are close advisors to a bunch of corporate clients that we cover uh, helping them raise capital and, and work on transactions like M&A, for example. I'm a VP also in BMO Capital Markets. I'm on the global market side, which basically manages the sales and trading. Uh, within global markets, I'm in the FEC group uh, and more precisely in the commodity space where we manage uh, derivative and physical transactions around trading with uh, uh, corporate clients, central banks, um, institutional uh, clients for the bank and other users and, and participants in the metals markets. Hey, John, um, I'm also a VP, uh, work in the diversified industries group alongside Charles. So that's one of the capital markets groups that uh, in Canada covers uh, all the different corporate clients, like he said, that, that wouldn't have a, a home on their own just for the market being a bit thin up in Canada. So. Um, we're, we're kind of jack of all trades, and, and as Charles described, um, you know, provide the capital and advisory relationship services those clients need. Okay, great. And, and it's obvious all three of you have done well for yourselves. Charles, I'm going to start with this first question for you. I'm interested in, in Tomas's and Tristan's perspective as well. But back in 2014, the three of you were part of a team that won an RMA-sponsored case competition. Um, what do you remember about ex that experience? Uh, specifically, were you anxious going in? Were you supremely confident? You all won that competition. I'm curious just uh, what you remember about it now all these years later. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we have very fond memories of it. We had a great time. Uh, in terms of supremely confident, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I'd say we were excited. Uh, obviously, um, uh, you know, we did. We had various backgrounds, which uh, we all felt were relevant uh, to the case competition itself. So that provided a little bit of support. Uh, I used to work in credit myself, so that was obviously helpful <laughs> uh, for the for the case competition and how we kind of structured our responses, uh, you know, during the competition. So yeah, I'd say we were. You were excited, you know, a little bit nervous, but uh, but certainly not supremely confident. Tomas, anything uh, anything stick out in your mind when uh, when you think back on that event? For me, um, I'm originally from Argentina. I only joined. I only went to Canada to study the MBA with, with these with these guys, and that, that case competition was kind of halfway through the program. So for me, it was the first time going to 
the Maritimes, uh, going to Halifax. So it was a great experience overall. I get to know other schools in Canada, other ways of living here, and didn't know a lot what to expect, but I hope like that lead it all went well. Great. Tristan, what about, what do you remember about the other teams? Anything in particular? Was the vibe collaborative or was it really sort of a, uh, a, a cutthroat feeling about uh, going after victory? I don't know if it was cutthroat. I think uh, yeah, I, I expect everybody wanted to do well and show well for their schools. There was certainly a bit of pride on, on the line, but uh, you know, I think everybody was friendly and cordial. I, I, I don't remember anything that kind of stood out as, as weird or anything like that. They, they were all nice folks. And we, you know, we met up with them after the competition and, and had some beers and stuff. And, you know, they're all nice people. So yeah, I think everybody had a good time. And but like, yeah, I think everybody was looking to looking to show well. And but, uh, but yeah, everybody was nice and friendly. So it wasn't wasn't anything weird or cutthroat. I don't think. Well, that's good. And that's we, we want the, the competition to be fierce, but also you know, create opportunities for networking. Tristan, I'll start with you on this one. Are there any particular key lessons that came out of that, whether it was learning, you know, how to work with others under deadline pressure or uh, just anything in particular that you remember that maybe served you well as you've gone on and built your career? Yeah, look, I think um, it was probably something that we'd started to experience in the program at Ivy a little bit already in the MBA program. And, and that was specifically to just figure out how to make a decision, sometimes with imperfect decision and information, sorry, and, and, and sometimes quickly and uncomfortably. And this this competition was kind of a continuation of some situations we'd been put in like, like that at, at school already. So you know, it was, it was fast. The information was given to you in short turnaround time. You got, you know, four different opinions. There were one of our other colleagues with us and, and you kind of just, sometimes it doesn't go your way. Like sometimes it's not your decision or your idea that's taken, but you kind of just get on board and, and drive toward the end game as quick as you can. Tomas, I'm curious if you have anything to add to that. If, uh, if there was anything, any, any critical lessons possibly that came out of that, that helped you in establishing your foundation for your career? Yeah, I think um, it was good to have a, a framework. Uh, we had established uh, what was basically whatever everyone's role in the team uh, was and what was expected beforehand. So that allowed us to, to perform under pressure. Uh, clarity is something that's very hard and, and usually you, when you're in a work environment, it's actually better if you, the more you manage between the grays and understand those limits and like naturally, uh, the better you do. And so I think how to organize work and it's very, very important when dealing with tight deadlines and, and under pressure. Yeah, I think uh, almost doesn't matter what industry everyone can relate to that. Charles, do you have anything to hook on to what Tristan and and Tomas have said. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I agree. Like, uh, especially with what, what Tristan pointed out at the beginning, which was that a lot of times you're given uh, very, you know, imperfect information, and you're expected to kind of flip it around and go in front of a room uh, and 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 present it. And in the case of bringing it to our current careers, uh, that is that is kind of relevant. You know, a lot of times you're you're given um, different types of information. It could be financials or, or market data or what have you, and you're you know, you go, you, you're, you have a meeting with clients and obviously you're prepared and the information you're giving is, is, is you know, typically well vetted, but there's obviously things that are going to happen on the fly. And so, you know, any preparation for that is extremely valuable. And that to me was the best part. The first case that we did, we had time to prepare, but all to Tristan's point, all the subsequent cases, right? We're, we're not, we didn't, we did not have to do that. And at the last, I remember the last particular um, 
uh, request, right, right before we finished the competition, we were given kind of a last piece of information at the last minute, and we had to kind of come up with something on the fly and present it to the group, which I thought was fairly interesting and, again, fairly reflective of reality, which is that you find things out the day of, <laughs> and you have to kind of figure out how to... Uh, you know how to how to present it so certainly helpful in that way yeah re real-time reaction charles yeah. i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with you for this one and i'll, I'll ask uh, tristan and, and tomas if they have, have anything to add uh rma sponsors with our local chapters and universities a lot of case competitions across the u.s and canada and i'm curious based on your personal experience would you recommend to a college student that they take part or participate in an activity like this? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's there's really no downside. You know, the only downside is is time, really. If that's, you know, if you have, uh, you know, thinking in my in MBA parlance, if there's some sort of opportunity cost there, but, uh, you know, there's really no downside to taking any of these competitions. You're only going to learn something. And, uh, you know, if, if you fail very quickly, you'll learn something there. If you succeed, you'll learn something there as well. So again, aside from the, the travel and, and the cost and the time frame, there's really no downside, I think, to participating in these. And I would definitely do it again. Okay, thank you. Uh, Tristan, do you have any, uh, any advice? Uh, would you recommend this type of case competition for a, a college student currently? Yeah, college or a university student up in Canada, for sure, I'd recommend it to them. It's, um, it was fun. It was, you know, for us, it was an opportunity to travel. And as Charles said, there's there's like literally zero downside. You have all the time in the world when you're in school. So yeah, it was fun. We get to spend some time and build some relationships and some memories. So yeah, I can't, can't imagine why anybody wouldn't take the opportunity if they get it. Tomas, how about you? Same. Uh, worst thing that can happen is learn, learn a little bit more about yourself, about your career, what you like, what you don't. And um, I'm not a very theoretical guy. I'm more like trial and error. So it's another try and definitely no more after it. Tomas, let's uh, suppose there's a, a sophomore or a junior in college or university that's considering a career in banking. What would you say to that young person? First of all, great choice. It's a career that allows you to see very deep into a lot of industries, uh, financing and it's and, and capital movements are basically the bloodline of a lot of, of companies. And, and you get to see very, in a very close up position and very privileged uh, about how a lot of industries work that make up uh, a country's economy. So from, from a purely intellectual perspective and, and social also, you, you understand a lot more about how the country works and different companies work. So I think that's the, that, that's the thing that, drives me the most uh, and then the second is and this applies to any any, any career is be certain uh, and course correct all the time how your interest and your personality evolves and course correct in what in terms of what you want for your career because at the end of the day you're going to have to put a lot of effort and time into it and and that's what is going to set you apart and determine how successful you are or not so just, just course correct, and if you're moving in a different direction or your career is moving, course correct, assess, think all the time on how, how you can make your career better or to just have a dynamic approach on it. Don't think that this is my choice, choice and I buy it uh, since so sophomore. You can always correct later. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Tristan, how about you? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big question, so I'll try and keep it relatively, certainly shorter than what Thomas just went through there, but... Um, Look, I think there's like two, two places I'd start. One, one is make sure you know about yourself and what, what you're looking for out of a career. And then secondly is make sure you know what this career actually is, not, not necessarily what people think it is. 
kind of do a bit of diligence, speak to people in the industry and find out really what the day-to-day is like and how this career, certainly in IB and investment banking, how it changes as you, uh, as you get more senior and you spend more time here, the roles change quite significantly. And, um, and then, so the point of thinking about those two different things is just to obviously make sure they're a match. And if, if, if the job, you know, doesn't, doesn't marry with your personality, it's just, it's not going to work very well. It's, it, it, it's like Tomas said, it certainly requires a lot from you and, uh, time and, and energy and, um, you know, certainly a small part of your soul in some cases. So, um, you know, like I said, just, just think, think pretty hard about it, make sure it's a good fit. But if you find that it's a good fit, um, you should be pretty excited. It's a pretty rewarding career. It's, it's certainly very challenging. It's complex and a lot of sophisticated problems to think through and, and that type of challenge, if that's really what, you know, gets you out of bed in the morning, then you, you'll find it. So it can be really good, but it's, um, you know, just make sure it's a good fit. And that's probably true for any career, but but certainly for this one. Yeah. So Charles, I'm going to tweak the question a little bit, but generally keep it the same. So if you were talking to your 22, 24 year old self, I know that was only a couple of days ago. Um, sure was. What, what, would you, what, <laughs> what would you say to a young Charles Hetchema before he embarked on his career in banking? I tell him to buy Amazon, but uh, yeah, I would, <laughs> I, uh, I'd, <laughs> I'd, uh, to be honest, I probably wouldn't change much uh, in terms of my career path. I, my, my career path is not linear. You know, I didn't, I didn't graduate and get into investment banking. I actually graduated and went to a very different. I was, I started off in retail and investments and banking. Then I went into structured finance and corporate finance. Um, so I've really kind of, my career is not linear in, in banking at all. So in hindsight, it would be difficult to imagine, um, you know, telling myself, oh, well, you should go here or go there, you know, but I, I did have the goal to be an investment banker. And, um, you know, I guess the Tomas's point, I would just say, make sure you're, you're flexible in terms of what you're looking for. Um, but uh, I would, candidly, I'd, I'd probably just, you know, I tell them to buy more Amazon stock. I wouldn't really change my career path because uh, it's kind of determined uh, my character and who I am right now. So yeah, I, I probably wouldn't change much. Okay. Uh, one last question. Uh, this may be the most challenging. So, You've each got a crystal ball looking out over the next five years. What do you see are the trends, the changes in the banking industry? If you had to make a prediction, I'm going to start with Tristan. Uh, where do you see the banking industry in 2026, 2027 in terms of how it's different yeah. from now? Um, like, look, I think, I, I, you know, it'll certainly be here. It, it's, it's a critical role to link, uh, you know, link capital to to um, the users of capital. That, that, that's effectively what we do. And, and obviously provide the advisory services for, for acquisitions and divestitures and things like that. So I don't, I don't think it's gonna go away. I, th- I certainly think it'll be here. I think, it, I think it's how it's done that's candidly already changing in, in part because of COVID. It's certainly become a much more, uh, much, much more digital even then in the few years that we've, we've been around the business with um, you know, doing things like this and Zoom calls and the connectivity you have with people's changed. Um, beyond that, it's, it's tough. I mean, you could certainly speculate a little bit about, um, you know, new entrants in, in, in the market and, and maybe ways to, uh, ways for clients to access capital that are maybe trying to disintermediate banks a little bit. You can certainly speculate around, around that coming to fruition a little bit, but I, I don't think it, there might be some success around the margins with that, but I don't, I don't candidly think that's going to get a whole lot of traction, but, um, yeah, I've, I haven't spent a whole ton of time thinking about how it's going to be in, in the long term. You're usually just trying to get home to dinner. So, 
Well, we are going to save this as, as a clip and save. So in five years, I'll come back to you and see how accurate you are. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and Charles, uh, what about you? If you had to anticipate five years out, any anything, any critical changes or shifts in the banking landscape? I'd say from an HR perspective, there's probably going to be more automation. That's probably like a low-hanging fruit. Um, and by that, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to, like to Tristan's point, I don't think it's going to you know, blow up or dramatically change. But I do think that the, the way the processes that are in place are going to, to change a little bit more and more incrementally every year. And I say incrementally because you know, a bank is like a, I often refer to it as a house, but I guess another analogy is that it's a big boat. And it takes time for it to change direction, you know, mm -hmm. which is the Obama analogy about politics. Um, and so, you know, incrementally, the bank is obviously looking at its bottom line, its return on equity, et cetera. And so the, the you know, and, and also the way the length of time people work on particular tasks, right? That's something that's, that's all the rage right now. And so part of that is going to be efficiency. And part of that relates to automation. We already have it, right? We use Excel. We have plugins in Excel, which are ubiquitous, but... I think there's different ways and different processes that they're, they're going to be consistently looking into uh, to improve. So I do think that the, the concept of automation and efficiency is going to kind of evolve uh, over the course of the next few years. And, you know, looking back, we'll probably maybe perhaps we'll laugh in a similar fashion as, as you know, we people, we often ask ourselves, what did people do before Excel? You know, and then the older guys will say Lotus or whatever, and we laugh, but, uh, you know, maybe perhaps there'll, there'll be a similar situation, maybe not in 2026, but maybe a little bit further out, uh, we'll look back and kind of laugh at, at how we did things at, at this point in time. Yeah, Tomas, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, um, Charles spoke a little bit about the endogenous from the bank inside, from the bank outside. I think that the industry has had a, a lot of different organizations that through technology get into finance. Uh, you see it on the retail side with uh, wealth simple or wealth management products. You see it with retail banking, with online banks. In the hedge fund community, you see it uh, with market participants like Citadel providing uh, wholesale services. A lot of different uh, businesses banks used to participate that through technology, newer companies are getting into it. And so that's the external side of how technology gets into the industry. I think the banks will adapt to that uh, either through acquisitions, et cetera. And the main side of this is the regulation and what role it plays into it both for small companies uh, getting into it, like to specific payment services, that, that, that kind of transition, but also from, from a purely regulatory side on the capital, capital allocation portion, uh, basically speaking more on, on the capital market side. And there's a lot of, after 2008, banks kind of got, split in terms of what role they had to occupy in, in, in markets in general. And it's been replaced by organizations that are shadow banking. There's a lot of new things of how markets move and basically the crisis will see or the market movements will see will determine how that will look like. But definitely the regulation of these new technologies would be a major part of that. Thank you all. It's obvious that the Bank of Montreal is in great shape with uh young executives, senior leaders like yourselves. And on a, on a serious note, I appreciate you looking back to the case competition from 2014 and taking a moment to look ahead as well to what may happen down the road in the, in the years to come in banking. So thank you all very much. We really do appreciate your time. Thanks, John. That's our pleasure. Thank you very Thanks. much, John.